0: our Savior this morning so let us sing with one voice
1: and give Him the glory that He is due. his word.
0: chapter 15, it says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that certainly is our prayer every week as we meet on Sundays together, that God would give us that encouragement and that endurance So that we can live in harmony with each other, but also that as we gather together we would unite in singing to give God glory. And that we would welcome each other, forgive each other as Christ has done also for us. So we are so glad that you are here this morning so that we can practice these one another's of scripture. And thank you for joining us at Newcastle. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we just want to extend a special welcome to you as well. Now, if you walked in and picked up a worship folder on your way in, uh, there you would usually find all sorts of information about the church in there. But this morning, you're just going to find song lyrics because they have been uh, crafted for our service in the park, which is our 11 o'clock uh, service this morning. So you're not going to find the usual information, but fret not, for on Monday or Tuesday, you will receive emails with all that news that is missing there this morning. There's no checking card either, so you are free from the obligation this morning of having to fill it out digitally or on paper, so blessings upon you. And just so you know, too, we welcome all of you. I know you're here for first service, but if you want to, you're welcome to come to the second service as well. I'm hoping that all the gaps in the chairs out here means that we're going to have a giant showing at the service in the park, but we are really excited about that. That's at 11 a.m. at the Veterans Park in Mackinac. And we would love to have you out there. It's going to be a little humid. And we've been praying that the Lord would keep the rain back. And I think he's answering that prayer. He's just keeping it everywhere in the atmosphere. But, in, you know, it'll be all over our bodies. But um, it'll be a really good time to proclaim the gospel and to sing together. And to make a big public awareness of our glorious God in the middle of Mackinac. And just before we continue singing, I just want to thank you guys. Um, We had two big things going on this week. And I just want to say thanks. All of our VBS workers who worked this week did a lot of work, and I know there's a bunch of workers getting ready for a good field this week. So I just want to say thank you because we had a bunch of kids. It looked awesome. I know the kids had a good time, and the gospel went forth, but it took a lot of work. So I want to thank you guys for that, and thank you for all of you who volunteered at MacAfest in um, the past couple of days. So that's another opportunity for us to love our community. So just thank you for being the body of Christ, Thank you for serving the Lord and worshiping him through those um, acts of service. Well, before we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, we are so blessed to be forgiven of our sins. We are so blessed and free because you have set us free. You have forgiven us and I pray that that same gift you have given us, that we would share it freely with others that we would seek actively, that we wouldn't be passive, but that we would seek actively to protect the unity and harmony of the church, that we would love one another as you have loved us, so that the world would know that we are your disciples. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to um, prepare our hearts as we continue to worship you this morning, that you would fix our eyes upon you, that you would soften our hearts to the teaching of your word, and I also pray that you would continue to bless our efforts as we prepare for that park service as well. I pray that you would draw in unbelievers to come and hear the gospel. And that you would help us as a church to be so sensitive and alert and ready to love on people whom we have never met before. And I pray that you would help us to think about how this is such a wonderful, easy, low, low-hanging fruit opportunity to love on people from Mackinac. So I just pray that you would bless our efforts, Lord, and that you would be glorified in all that we do this morning. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. All right, well, please stand, if you're able, as we continue to worship and celebrate our God.
1: when you came for me held in chains by the enemy but you broke them in victory save my soul. This I'm sure you are my God and you save my soul. Here yeah. yeah.
2: fire and God with you this morning so good so good and uh, before we pray uh, a couple thanks first of all as uh, Newcastle we're in this series building up the body I, I just want to commend those of you who've been practicing the one another's uh, to the Miller family uh, for a while now and first uh, Corinthians 12 first Corinthians 12 talks about the body and says if one mem- member suffers all suffer. Together, and you have helped Sandy and the family suffer well. And she is now rejoicing with our Savior in heaven. Praise God. And I also want to commend you, as I've uh, been informed, Doris has informed us how grateful she is that so many of you reached out to her and Keith as he's suffering well through his illness. And uh, Doris and Keith, previous longtime attendees, folks, keep building up the body. Keep building up the body. And, uh, and just still smile on the inside as I think of the young bodies being built up here this past week and then what's going to happen over at Goodfield as Tyson's already mentioned, but uh, thank you, thank you. So as uh, some of you know, uh, we have 25 people that are heading to San Francisco next Saturday on a a short term mission uh, trip and if there are some of those here, in fact if you're here and you're headed to San Francisco we want you to stand up, we want to pray for you in just a minute or so but uh anybody else out there headed to san francisco there you go there you go there you go anybody else they're going to be gone for a week at the ywam headquarters in the tenderloin district of san francisco you know partner partner with our Go partners gabby and mateo alzada as you can imagine the tenderloin district is a vastly different culture than central illinois and uh, um, the needs are many, and uh, but the greatest need is Jesus, just like it is everywhere. So uh, many of you have already supported this team financially, and thank you. Thank you very much. But we want to do, and, and uh, it's kind of a tradition around here, those folks are standing up, you're not going, yeah, you're going there yourself, but Newcastle's going with you, and uh, so here's what we generally do if Newcastle, if you would stand up, we want to stand as we've stood with these folks financially preparing them and uh, we want to stand with them and as uh, this team together and we want to prayerfully send you out and to do his work. Uh, I know he's going to be working in, in uh, those folks in San Francisco, um, in Gabby and Mateo, and as well as, uh, as in the folks that were standing here. Uh, that are headed that way. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Well, Lord, your word is clear about your heart for those in need, but I particularly love how it says in Proverbs fourteen thirty one, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Lord, we have 25 of our Newcastle body who are going to minister to the needy in San Francisco. I pray they would honor you as they show kindness to the needy there. Lord, let them have your eyes and your heart as they go into the Tenderloin District and have their prayer walks, deliver food, other things such as gospel conversations, and even the hands-on discipleship that they'll learn from Gabby and Mateo. Lord, lead them, and help them to remember your words as they do. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And, Lord, let our folks see the greatest need of those in the Tenderloin District District is the need for a Savior. Open the eyes of the hearts for those they minister to that they might see their need for you. And find our people faithfully ministering the gospel and bringing fruit to their ministry, Lord, as they go and make disciples in the nation called the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And Lord, I pray our folks would be an encouragement to Gabby and Mateo. They would be spurred on in their ministry of works and good deeds. But Lord, use Mateo and Gabby as your instruments as they would sharpen our team in how to see and serve the needy through your eyes. And then bring this team back to help us all better see the needs of those around us. And Lord, I ask your protection on our team physically and their travel in all other ways. Even more, I pray, hedge protection around them. Spiritually, as I know the evil one would like to thwart their mission in any way. In Lord, to finally, just bless them with great joy of serving you, our great God, who loves them, loves Mateo and Gabby, and loves the folks in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And we pray that in the name of our great Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Would you join me in congregational prayer? Let's pray some more. Shall we pray? Lord, we just sang to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace. And my Lord, as we learned in Ephesians 1 a few weeks ago, you lavished that grace upon us. Let us embrace the grace, that grace this morning. Help us to think of it, to soak in it. Let it give us a heart of gratitude this morning. Let it give us a heart of worship. But Lord, I don't think you can truly grow a heart in worship unless we remember, as we learned last Sunday, remember that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. And remember, that sin separated us from you, and only by your mercy and grace are we saved from the penalty of our sin, as it says in Ephesians 2. But you, being rich in mercy because of the great love which you loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Oh, Lord, let us remember and embrace that grace this morning. And then as we do, let that grace be transformational grace as well. Grace that trains us, as it says in Titus 2. Grace that grows us in those good works we learned about in Ephesians 2. Oh, Lord, transform us to love better, to forgive better, to serve better, to speak truth and love better, to obey you better. And let us do that at home, at work, at school, and in our communities. Lord Sandy Miller was a lady who loved and served and really was so faithful in speaking truth and love to so many, and particularly to the ladies here at Newcastle. She, as her Matt would say, was a disciple who made disciples, who continue to make disciples. Thank you for her, my Lord. She'll be missed by her family and by her church family. And still we smile on the inside as we think of her smile in your presence right now. And Lord, we rejoice with Grace Church, our partner church this week, as they celebrate the sending out of some new full-time missionaries, also a couple of short-term missions teams, and, and also a staff member who will be planning a church. Direct them in wisdom as they share with others your mercy and grace to the praise of your glory. And then, Lord, lead Grace as they are presently searching for a new student ministry. Pastor, bring your man their way, please, Lord, to the praise of your glory. And finally, Lord, we pray for our own GO partners, K&H, who minister in Topaz. They are currently stateside, and we pray you give them continued vision for their family during their time here. Bless them with spiritual refreshment, Lord, as you do. And thank you for time they've had with Kay's family in Florida. And we look forward to being part of that refreshment when they get back here to Central Illinois in the next few weeks. Then as their group in Topaz continues to lead some English classes there through July, we pray that relationships with the locals there be fruitful time of opportunities to share. So continue to grow their ministry in Topaz, even as they praise your mercy and grace here in the States. And now, Lord, as we remember the grace you have lavished on us, teach us, train us, transform us so we can better walk in those good works. You've already prepared for us. Help us to add the heart in the eyes of Jesus to the praise of your glory. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that. Amen.
0: Dear would you please stand as we celebrate the amazing grace we are shown physically and spiritually every second of our lives.
3: Song never gets old to sing because that is the story of this old, old story of our salvation that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What amazing, amazing grace our God has given to us. Well, welcome to the worship of Jesus Christ this morning. We're thrilled to worship Christ with you today. Today, we're going to continue our pulpit series through the book of Ephesians. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, nice and tall, and it would be our joy to give you a copy of God's Word today. And please open that to Ephesians chapter 2. You know, church, there is no stronger power in this world today than the living Word of God. And so we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word that you're reading regularly and benefiting from in your life. I want to just add my thank you that's already been expressed this morning to all of you for just making Jesus look good this week. I'm so proud of you. I just praise God for you, church. You are an amazing group of people because we have an amazing God with amazing grace. He gets all the glory. I know you know that, but I just want to say thank you for serving so well this week. Don't grow weary in well-doing. We still have a really important week ahead of us here with Goodfield VBS, Sandy Miller's um, uh, funeral with the One-Way Kids Club happening in Mackinac on Mondays and Wednesdays this week, and then our trip going out to San Francisco. So just let's stay humbly dependent. Let's stay a people who's continually depending on God's grace for everything that we need for life and godliness And we're going to stay dependent and we're going to trust God to bear fruit that lasts for his glory as we abide in him together this week. Well, let's read our passage now from Ephesians chapter 2. Last week was actually part one of this two-part message. So I'm going to read the entire text in chapter 2 from verses 11 to 22. So if you can, uh, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. by the Spirit. This is the reading of the good news of Christ. You may be seated. Let's pray together before we meditate on this in our preaching. Lord, you are an amazing God of glory. We've already sung our desire to come and glorify you, to, to ex- express your beauty. In our worship together, Father, we want all of us to respond, not, not all of us numerically. We want all of us qualitatively, like every part of us, to actually respond in an appropriate way to your revelation of Jesus. We want to worship in spirit and truth. But Father, we are weak. We acknowledge that. We're, we're fickle. We're easily distracted. We're tired. And so I pray, Father... That your spirit would do a miracle today. That your spirit would actually purify your church. That your spirit would actually enliven us. Awaken us from the dullness of apathy and the dullness of materialism and the, the deadening lies of Humanism, awaken us, Father, from the the influence of this world and wash our souls with your word this morning so that we truly love you, that our affections would beat for Christ and that we would be built up together as your body on earth, that we might be your hands, your feet, your voice, your perfume, your cologne, so that others would see Christ in us and at work through us. Oh God, please, minister to us now by your spirit which is alive and among us. We wait eagerly. We're like baby birds in the nest. Father, with open mouths this morning, come, fill us up, feed us life. And together your people would say, amen. On June 12th, 1987, the United States President Ronald Reagan stood in front of the Berlin Wall in Germany and said those now famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You see, for nearly 30 years after the end of World War II, East Berlin was under the control of the Soviet communists. And the Soviets wanted to protect, quote unquote, their people in East Berlin from the thoughts and beliefs of the free world. So they built a huge guarded concrete wall that was 27 miles long, a barrier right through the capital city of Germany that separated fellow countrymen and families, an uncrossable Border that grimly pictured the Iron Curtain of the Soviet regime. No one from East Berlin could ever pass into West Berlin without being killed for trying. It was a constant witness of the separation between the ideology of communism and democratic freedom. So just as President Reagan. Called for the Berlin Wall to be torn down in 1987. Our Bibles are open today to Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul is calling for another wall to come down. In Ephesians 2, the wall is not physical, but it is spiritual. It's a wall of hostility, a wall of animosity, a wall of deadly separation that sin builds. This wall of sin surrounds individual souls. And it separates people from God and people from people. It's a wall of shame, a wall of guilt, a wall of pride, judgment, anger, fear. Every person on this planet finds themselves surrounded by the insurpassable wall of sin at some point in your life. Sin separates us from knowing God and sin separates us from the relational oneness we were created to have with others. So here in Ephesians 2, Paul is writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus so that these Christians would understand that Jesus' death is the answer to all of our separation with God and with others. Jesus' death tore down the wall of hostility and relational separation that sin built. Jesus' substitutionary death on behalf of sinners forever sets souls free to love God and love others the way he created us to do. It is the shed blood of Jesus that unites all believers together into one body that we call the church. Now, if you, list, if you missed last week's sermon, oh, I'm going to encourage you extra much. I don't know how to say that. This week, go and listen to last week's sermon because last week in part one of this message, we set the historical context, the historical background that's in Paul's argument here as he's understanding the Jew and Gentile separation that's happening in their time. But I just want to remind you today that remember in first century worship in Jerusalem, that the temple there used a series of discriminating courts That surrounded the temple building to communicate how close any one person could ever get to the holiness of God. The outer court was the court of the Gentiles. Next was the the court of the women for the Jewish women. That's the farthest they could go. And then there was the court of Israel for Jewish men. Then the court of the priest for Jewish men from the tribe of Levi. And then, of course, inside the temple building, the holiest of holies, the very room where God's presence lived, was separated from the holy place by a huge curtain. And only Israel's high priest could ever pass beyond that curtain. And that only once a year after a blood sacrifice was made for his own sins and the sins of the entire Jewish people. After all, sin is what separates all people from God. And sin is fundamentally the root cause for all discrimination, all racism, all relational brokenness in families, in marriages, in marketplace, in our lives. Sin is ultimately the root cause for all relational brokenness among all people as well. Just like the Berlin Wall, the dividing wall of hostility that separated the Gentile court from all the Jewish courts in the temple, sin always separates relationships. So the spiritual walls, we're talking spiritual walls this morning, the spiritual walls of guilt, shame, judgment, That sin builds around our souls must be torn down if you're ever going to experience oneness with God. And once you experience true oneness with God Himself, then there's no longer any reason for discrimination between Jews and Gentiles, between men and women, or between people of any shape or kind or color. So let's walk through this glorious text this morning listening carefully to learn how Jesus' death is the answer to our separation with God and with others. Well, in verses 11 and 12, Paul calls Christians to remember where they came from. Christian, remember our past separation before or apart from Jesus' death. Last week, we learned from verse 11 how the Jews used physical circumcision as a religious reason to separate from the Gentiles. So the Jewish discrimination of Gentiles as the uncircumcision, that testified to the relational separation with others that comes from all external religion. Before Jesus died to pay for our sins, all religion could do was discriminate among people based on externals. All religion could do before Jesus' death was to discriminate among people based on external ceremonies, handmade traditions. So listen carefully, friends. If you are not trusting in Jesus' death to pay for your own sins then the sum total of your religion, the sum total of your irreligion, will only result in being a proud, judgmental, and hostile person against those who are different than you. Religious legalism always leads to relational brokenness. Living according to the rules of external religion always ultimately divides and destroys unity among God's people. And that's why the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 is so important for us to understand. We can only be saved from the wrath of God that our sins deserve. We can only be saved from God's judgment by God's grace through faith. Salvation is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation from sin never comes from any human work. So Christian, remember humbly your religious past. Before Jesus died for us, we were relationally separated from others by external religion. And then in verse 12, we were relationally separated from God through spiritual ignorance. Remember, before the cross of Christ, Gentile people were at a huge spiritual disadvantage when compared to the Jews. Because verse 12 teaches the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people, were, were separated from even knowing about the Messiah, the Christ. They were separated from the benefits of being God's special nation, separated from the promises of God's covenants, separated from the confidence of God's saving hope, separated from intermittent fellowship with the creator God in this world. So those Gentile Christians in Ephesus, just like us here today, must remember that all of salvation is a gift, undeserved, undeserved gift from God. Before Jesus paid for our sins, we were all separated from God and we were separated from his people. We had no right, no reason for God to ever have any grace upon us. All of our religious attempts only served to divide us further in our self-righteous religious pride. So Christians today, Newcastle Bible Church, now I want to talk to you. If you understand what I'm preaching, then you will understand we must stop comparing ourselves among ourselves. We must stop the infighting, the friendly fire, That often happens between Christians. We must be humble and remember where God brought us from. Remember salvation belongs to the Lord. None of us ever deserved His grace and we're not better than anyone else. Now verse 13 starts with the word, but... And it interrupts this nostalgia of our religious separation with the glories of Jesus making all believers one body in his church. So now Christian, realize our present reconciliation in Jesus' death. Jesus' death reconciles us both to God and to others who believe on Jesus. First, look at verses 13 to 15. Because here we see that Jesus' death causes us to be relationally united with other believers. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in the past, we were separated from God and others. We are closed in by this invisible wall of sin around our soul. But now, God has intervened. But now, all who are God's workmanship, all who have been made alive together with Christ, all who have been raised up together with Christ, all who have been seated together with Christ at the right hand of the Father, now the blood of Christ has done something miraculous. If you write in your Bibles, you might underline that phrase, by the blood of Christ, in verse 13. Because a death sacrifice was required for our reconciliation. Sin always deserves death. The wages of sin is death. So the only way that our wall of sin could ever be torn down was through a sacrificial death of someone in our place who was sinless. They didn't have their own sin to pay for, so they... Paid for our sin in our place. And listen carefully, friends. Jesus was the sinless God-man. So humanity and deity combined and joined into one. The moment Jesus was born of a virgin and he added humanity to his nature. Jesus never sinned. He's perfectly God and perfectly human. So when Jesus gave his life and he spilled his blood for sinners like me and like you, an amazing miracle of reconciliation happened. Verse 13 says, the far off were brought near. Those who were excluded to the outer court of worship by external religion. They're now brought near to sit at the right hand of God himself, where God delights to eternally disclose his heart of grace to us in intimate revelation forever. Verses 14 and 15 teach, now the two have been made one. And look at verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace. He has made us both, say it, he has made us both One. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that are expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Underline those words, in his flesh. Because when Jesus died in his flesh on the cross, he became the source of peace. Our source of peace with each other. He took the two people groups on earth, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he created out of them both one entirely new man. A new humanity that's neither Jewish nor Gentile. By his death, Jesus created the church His body of believers who are now forever at peace with one another through their common union with Jesus himself. Remember again from last week, the the dividing wall of hostility that Paul refers to in verse 14 is referring to that dividing wall that separated the believing Jews from from the believing Gentiles in the temple courts. Acts chapter 21 reports the history of how Paul was arrested under suspicion of taking an Ephesian believer past that religious barrier. So this is very personal for Paul. This is very, very personal for the Ephesians. Paul uses strong language in verse 15 when he says, Jesus abolished the law of commandments that are expressed in ordinances. Literally, that word abolished means obliterated, blew up. Jesus's death completely nullifies any barrier between Jew and Gentile. All the religious ceremonies and external distinctives of the Mosaic law, all the dietary laws, all the dress code, all the circumcision laws, all the sacrificial laws, all the feasts, all the priesthood, it's now completely abolished, forever nullified. External religion is forever destroyed. The law of Moses has now been completely replaced by the law of Christ. For Jesus himself has fulfilled God's law to the uttermost. And all who believe on Jesus now have the law of God written on our hearts. So listen up church, please hear me. The Christians peculiar distinctives are now always a matter of the heart not a matter of some outward appearance external rules and religious customs should no longer divide god's people all who are united with jesus by saving faith are positionally made one the far off are now brought near the two have now been made one. And as the end of verse 15 clearly says, the hostile are now at peace. Conflict ceases, wars end, feuds are resolved, marriages are reconciled, all because Jesus died to pay for sin, all of our sin. And once sin has been taken away, we are forever relationally in the position of unity with all those who are in Christ with us. Let that soak in for a moment. This means Jesus' death has brought all Christians into the position of full reconciliation with every other saved Christian. You say, I don't feel that way. I, I understand where it's the already not yet, right? It's like we're already in the position of oneness. And yet we're working out the practice of that experience in our daily lives. But you have to understand, it is this positional oneness and reconciliation that Christ has worked in us, church, that gives us the fuel and the motivation and the confidence and the power to pursue peacemaking with others. More on that in a minute. So no matter what country you're from, no matter what color your skin, no matter your education, no matter your wealth, No matter whether you are even living in the same household with another who is against you, it doesn't matter if we're Baptist, if we're Presbyterian, if we're Methodist, or some other brand of believer in Jesus. After Jesus' death, there's only two people groups in the world. Those who are trusting in Christ for their salvation and those who are trusting in themselves. And Jesus' death reconciles all its beneficiaries together into one body positionally. Since his death first reconciles us with him, with God. Notice what Jesus' death accomplishes for us according to verse 16. That he might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So believing Jews and believing Gentiles are both reconciled to who? To God. In one body, through the cross. That word reconcile, by the way, that's a really strong word in the text. It doesn't just mean removing the barriers that separated us. It actually includes the union of a reconciliation. So translation, through the cross of Christ... Sinners are now friends with God. This is amazing. We who were former enemies of God, we who only deserved God's judgment, we're now reconciled to God himself through the death of Christ on the cross. Now we are seated at the Father's right hand in a place of loving intimacy where he delights to open his heart and show us all of his grace for all of time. Verse 17 says, Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those, peace to those who were near. In other words, sinners are now at peace with God because of the death of Jesus. Jesus, the peacemaker, is also the peace preacher. Jesus invites all people, those who are far away from God and those who are close to God, Jesus invites all people to believe the gospel preaching So that they might experience oneness with God through his substitutionary death for you. It's just as Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Friend, let me ask you. Is your soul at peace with God? Now understand, biblical peace is stronger than a feeling. So I'm not asking how you feel. Biblical peace is the absence of conflict. It's reconciliation. Biblical peace is shalom. Everything being made right. No more influence and no more effect of sin. Peace. Now consider the wonders of verse 18. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So through faith in Jesus' death, sinners are not only friends with God and at peace with God, but sinners are now welcomed by God Every believer has access to knowing God personally. After all, do you remember what happened in the temple the moment Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Do you remember what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. All separation between sinners and God was removed as soon as our sins were paid for by the death of Christ. No one, now, now anyone, anyone who believes on Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation is welcomed without reservation into the very presence of our holy creator himself. Oh, Christian, let's remember our past separation from God and others apart from Jesus' death. Let's realize our present reconciliation to God and to all who believe on Jesus' name. Through Jesus' death, we have been relationally united with God and with all other believers in Jesus for salvation. Therefore, in verses 19 to 22, Paul concludes by calling us to rejoice, (laughs) rejoice in our present identification together in Christ as his church. Paul here is going to paint three word pictures as the church, as, as Christ's body. And he doesn't literally use the word church here, but what he's doing is he's describing the universal church of Jesus Christ by using three metaphors that all are emphasizing our positional oneness together as believers in Christ. So first, Paul concludes that the death of Jesus results in all believers together identifying as citizens in God's kingdom. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now... When you hear that word aliens, I know some of us are thinking about little green men in flight suits. So don't think that. When you hear the word aliens, think immigrants. Think foreigners. Because Gentiles, Paul wants to be very clear, Gentiles are not second-class citizens in God's family. There's no such thing as a spiritual refugee in God's church. We are all fellow citizens together in God's one kingdom. Verse 19 continues, and you are all members of the household of God. Now that's the second word picture. Not only are we citizens together in God's kingdom, but all who trust in Jesus' death for the forgiveness of sin are children in God's family. We're members together of God's household, it says. And isn't that precious? To, To be a To be a member of God's family is a more intimate relationship than to just be a fellow citizen in a nation, right? So Paul is describing, as he's describing this reality of our Christian unity from different perspectives, he says, once once the blood of Christ has covered your sins, you now share in Jesus's sonship. All believers are brothers and sisters to Jesus and we're children together of our heavenly Father, of God himself. Finally, verses 20 to 22 describe the church's identity as building blocks. We are all building blocks in God's temple. Paul writes, All of you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So notice, did you catch the building language here? We're built together on the foundation. The foundation of the New Testament apostles and prophets. You say, who are, the, who, who are those people? Well, these are the people that God's Spirit used to breathe out the New Testament Scriptures. So the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, the message of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that we find in the New Testament scriptures, this gospel, that is the foundation of our faith. Saving faith comes from hearing the words of Christ, and we know the words of Christ recorded for us in the New Testament, in the scriptures. So this gospel foundation of our community, of our unity together, is we're on the foundation of the gospel, which was revealed through the prophets and the apostles of the, of the New Testament. So that foundation gets its strength, of course, from the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is Jesus' person and work. So together, God's people are living as a, as a growing temple where every believer is perfectly placed into the structure at just the right place, with just the right shape, to help the entire building fulfill its purpose. Oh, church, don't miss this. Every individual believer is important to the structural soundness of the church. No person is out of place. No person is misshapen or... or or unnecessary. Every building block is precisely fit, shaped, and beautifully placed to complete the whole structure. And for what purpose, you ask? Verse 22 concludes You're all being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> wow. Together, all believers make up the church which is God's permanent home. After the death of Jesus, God no longer lives in a physical temple in Jerusalem. God now lives among his people. By his spirit, God is making for himself an eternal home where he will live and he will dwell joyfully in unity with souls who love him, with souls who believe on him and have been made to be at peace with him through the blood sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So then please understand, Jesus' death is the answer to all of our separation that sin creates between us and God and between us and others. Jesus' death kills sin. Jesus' death removes the animosity and the relational separation that sin always brings. So how should a group of believers like us respond to Ephesians 2? I believe we rightly apply Ephesians 2 when we seek to live out our positional unity that God has placed us in together in Christ In other words, we must reflect our peace with God by making peace with others. Now, of course, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of of, of your sins, for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you must recognize that you will never experience oneness with God and others until you first believe On Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. You must repent. That means to have a change of mind that leads to a change in direction. You must repent from your trusting in all external religion. You must stop comparing yourselves with others for your spiritual confidence. You must humble yourself. You must admit that your sins have separated you from God and from others. And then repent of your self-reliance and believe. Just simply believe that Jesus' blood covered your sins. Believe that Jesus' resurrection gave you a brand new heart. A heart that's at peace with God. Receive your new identity by faith as, as God's workmanship within His church. And then after you are saved by the Spirit's work, you must live. Oh, Christian, you must live to reflect the nature of our peacemaking God by seeking to make peace with others around you. Now, practically speaking, I, I fully understand it's, it's easier, isn't it, to be a peace faker than a peacemaker? Uh, biblical peacemaking, it, it's far more involved than simply refraining from fighting. Biblical peacemaking is it's far more challenging than just tolerance. To make peace with others is to pursue biblical reconciliation, reconciliation after sin. And remember, sin is always the ultimate cause for all relational brokenness. You say, no, it's not. We're just, we're just broken because we're different. He has a different personality than me. He believes a little different doctrine than me. It's not essential doctrine. We still we're we're both Christians, but we just No, listen, listen. Sin is always the ultimate cause for all relational brokenness among believers. So peacemaking always begins by first identifying your own sin. What the scripture calls the log in your own eye before you start to deal with the speck in your neighbor's eye. You're you helping somebody else with their own sin, see? So peacemaking always starts by confessing your own sin. Not excusing your own sin. Not downplaying. Not minimizing. Not justifying my own sin. But name your own sin before God and before others. And then to seek forgiveness. From God First. And then from the other that you've sinned against. I love how 1 John chapter 1 encourages us here for, listen to verse 7. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as God is in the light. Translation, if we confess our sins to one another, since God already knows all of our sins, then we will have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all sin. So don't you see how biblical peacemaking builds up the body? Church, true fellowship, true unity, true oneness together only comes by walking in the light with one another. Meaning, confessing our sins to one another. Verse 8 goes on to remind us, none of us can say that we've never sinned. None of us can say, well, I don't have any sin to confess. No, no, that's not true. We're deceiving ourselves. And then listen to verse 9. The foot of the cross is level, loved ones. None of us deserve God's grace. The foot of the cross is level. So verse 9, take it to heart. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and God is just to forgive our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah for our glorious salvation by God's amazing grace. If we would be committed to confessing our sins to one another. If we would truly forgive one another as God has already forgiven us then we would experience a kind of unity in our marriages, in our church family, in our workplace, in our community, in our church relationships. Then, if we confess our sins and forgive one another, we would experience the unity and relational oneness that is supernatural and completely foreign to this world. So how can you personally apply the truths from Ephesians 2 By seeking to build up the body through biblical peacemaking. I'm asking you to think honestly before God what sin do you need to confess to God and to others in sincere biblical repentance? And the follow up question is what sin do you need to forgive? Because of how much God has already forgiven you in Christ. See, God has already made us positionally one, church. May his spirit now help us to practice that oneness in biblical peacemaking. All for the greater building up of his body. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you. That you have made us one through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Something we could have never earned. We could have never even dreamt of this. But your amazing grace has given us yourself. You died in our place. You tore down that invisible wall of sin that uh, enslaved all of our souls. Oh, Father, we praise you. We praise you. Not only for how you have created us, but we praise you, Father, that, that you have saved us from sin. Father, I, I confess on behalf of all of us here in this local church, We, starting with me and really all of us, I think we're, we're far too proud. And our pride convinces us in such an evil way that somehow we're better than others and we think more highly than our, of ourselves than we ought to think. And Father, I I confess that for me. I confess that for us as a body. And I ask that, Father, you'd forgive us because of what Jesus did, that you'd forgive us and that you'd cleanse us. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be a people that are known for our mercy, a people that are known for our love. Oh, yes, we believe your word and we, we stand in it, but we, we do so with such bold humility. Help us, Father, to to pursue peace, and to truly be biblical peacemakers in our individual homes, in this church body, and in the world. All for your greater glory, we ask. Amen.
0: If you're able, please stand as we sing together our rally cry of Christ, that he is our hope in life and death.
3: let's remember this we have one foundation for our unity together and that's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ Christ himself is the ultimate cornerstone everything comes from Jesus he is our hope in life and in death and what a privilege what a privilege to live together as Christ's body on this earth this world is short our dear sister Sandy Miller if she could speak to us right now right she say, oh, take heart, church. It's worth it all in the end. Glory's coming. This life is short. What a privilege to live as Christ's body together in Christ. So may God's Spirit help us all to be peacemakers this week. Amen? All right, we're going to pray our benediction. And then a, a reminder, today there's no 930 programming, okay? because we're all getting ready to go to the park at 11 o'clock. So if you're able, please join us at the park. We're going to have a wonderful time worshiping the Lord there in Mackinac Veterans Park at 11 o'clock. So let's pray our benediction as we go out into our week of ministry, whether it's in Goodfield VBS or One Way Kids Club or in the Marketplace or in San Francisco. May God's Spirit answer this prayer this week among us as we pray it now. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21.